This episode of The A-Team is brought to you by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering card singles. More more to the to the Naya Jun speed sort of situation, because I noticed yeah. that uh, Jund is one deck in standard you haven't actually said the word of. Okay, oh, that means, oh man, that means you're probably playing it. No, um... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the A-Team Podcast, brought to your ears by ManorDeprived.com, home of Canadian magic. In 2010, a crack magic playing unit was sent to prison by the DCI court for mise they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison to the Canadian underground. Today, still wanted by Wizards of the Coast, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can listen to The A-Team. KYT. Jay just agreed with Medina. (laughs) My head exploded. Jay Boosh. Is this what it's like to be a brewer? Because that was exciting. (laughs) If that's what it's like, I fucking, I take it all back. Scotty. I would really like you to, like, come clean. You just mulligan to land, land, elf sword every single game. And Medina. So anyways, I had to leave, obviously, because I'm just not going to sit here and watch chicks get naked when there's trading to be done. And now, the A-Team. Hey everyone, this is KYT here with a special A-Team episode. We're going to be doing a Pro Tour Montreal preview show. With me is, as always, my loyal, loyal, man of the private party partner in crime, Mr. Scotty Mack. How's it going, Scott? Good, man. Good. Yes. Back at the mic twice this week. <laughs> Holy crap. Yes. It's insane. But it's not just us. It's not. No, I know. KY, we, we left Medina and, uh, and Jay because, you know, Jay had stuff to do for the wedding and uh, Medina had stuff that he decided that he wanted to do that would make uh you know him money or something <laughs> so you know we decided that there would be somebody that we could get that actually wanted to be on the show tonight to talk <laughs> about their outstanding accomplishments and recent news for for them leading up to this exciting event of pro tour montreal and so you guys have have actually our loyal listeners have met this wonderful individual before uh, you know, advocate of, of wicked hats, Star City <laughs> Games, you know, SCG Live commentator, soon to your future SCG Live commentator for Grand Prix Charlotte, Matthias Hunt. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back on. It's quite the fanfare. Well, you know, up there. it's the one thing that we do do really well here is make our guests feel welcome. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> So, yeah, so welcome back, man. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, I think last time I was on, we were previewing new Phyrexias. That was, like, years ago. Fuck, it was forever. Yes, it was. Yeah. But, yeah, we, we've always enjoyed having you on, and we've always spoken of you very highly behind, you know, off the air and closed doors. And, you know, I was just saying, you know, commenting earlier how we were really impressed with, you know, your commentating and, and at the SCG Live circuits. And, you know, I always find what you have to add relevant, and especially when you're doing things like, you know, when you're paired with somebody like the Jacob Van Loon, and it becomes very evident, you know, who the brains behind the hat is. 
<laughs> wow. So I'm really glad to hear you back, and I'm also really super glad to hear that you're doing commentating again. Uh, yeah. Commentary with Joey, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, Joey Pasco and I are doing the commentary for Grand Prix Charlotte, which is the week after the Pro Tour. So sick. Yeah. So, so it's the first time where I think we're gonna do it's for a limited Grand Prix. So that's going to be pretty neat. It's a gate crash limited. Normally we only get to do commentary on constructed. So I'm super excited about doing commentary on sealed deck. It's actually kind of my pet format and I never get to talk about it in air. So I have tons of things to say. Nice. I know Joey and Taz, he and I have been talking as well. And he says he's been like doing nothing but playing gate crash limited. So it's going to be good. I'm excited to see it. I mean, there's, you're competing of course with Grand Prix, uh, Quebec City, right? Or is that the week following? Uh, I think I think Quebec and uh, Charlotte are the same week. Ugh. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be super sick. That's that's amazing. So you're actually uh, you're queued for this Pro Tour Montreal. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm gold this year. So uh, I have all the cues and buys, but no, none of the appearance <laughs> anything. <laughs> so, yeah. we're, so we're going to see you. Yes, I will. Actually, uh, we're leaving. The whole team is leaving on Sunday, so nice. we're recording this on Thursday night. So yeah, just I'm I'm almost at the point where I'm packing. Nice. So when you said Sweet. we, obviously you weren't coming alone. And, right. Uh, so so I think this was this was part of the big announcement. And for those of you that that missed, um, maybe you know, Mathias, you want to tell everyone what's going on, what happened. Well, so for people who follow the Pro Tour for the last couple of Pro Tours, we've Team Panic has kind of been a crew, which mostly the similar crew has been a little bit changing, but uh, we did Hawaii, Barcelona, and Seattle together. And uh, this this one, we uh, got picked up by Channel Fireball. So, woo Yeah, it's been really exciting. So uh, you can actually follow us for the first time. Channel Fireball will have a landing site for the team. You know, we're going to have, like, team T-shirts. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I think most everyone on the team will be uh, have some sort of article coming up this coming week. Before the pro tour, each person on the crew will be putting some sort of article out regarding it, you know, to, and then, yeah, we'll be competing at the pro tour. That's so awesome. So, like, what, what else mm-hmm. does this bring together for you? So, first of all, Team Panic for is actually mm-hmm. yourself, Michael yes. Strick, mm-hmm. Matt Nass. Yes. And who else? Okay. So, the crew would be myself, Michael Hetrick, Matt Nass, um, Andres Prost, uh, Jesse Hampton. Um, oh gosh, I'm gonna miss people, and then that's gonna be really embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Hampton, Jacob Wilson, Sam Pardee. Um, those those two people are both they they're both the younger players. Both of them have uh, I think this is their sector. Jacob obviously won the Grand Prix in Chicago, and then Sam is uh, SMDster on Moto. So that's yeah, I think well, Sam also uh, uh, lost in the finals of GP Toronto, if I'm not mistaken, also, right? Or was he doing yeah. in the semis? No, no, no yeah. Uh, he topped... No, he lost the finals of that one. Right. Yeah, so... Um, so it's us, and then uh, Jia Wu, who's, who's from Alaska, and he's a three-time Chinese national team member, nice. and then Shahar Shanar, and Christian Calcano and Jackie Lee are also working with us for the Pro Tour. Nice, but those aren't, like, regular members, but they are working with you for this Pro Tour. Yes, they're working with us for this Pro Tour. Cool. That's awesome, man. So, like, how did that all come about? I mean, tell us about how... I mean, you're right. I mean, we've we've heard mentions of Team Panic, you know, on more than one yeah. occasion. 
um, for those of you that actually pay attention to more than the cover page. Um, shout out to BDM, though. Shout who, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who puts, like, people's team names out there and don't, you know, call my team <clears throat> random Canadians. <laughs> so that's not the official team name, no. Um, so, Panic, um, yeah, so I, I think we kind of, it, it has a weird snowball sort of effect. I think our first big event was Barcelona, where it's just, you know, it's kind of like, 10 guys we kind of thought we could get together. The team started, it was mostly Minnesotans, and at one point we, like, we grouped up with Shahar, and then they just started adding people, and we had a pretty good mm. performance in Barcelona, where our team ended up, we, I think as a crew, we went, like, 70% of our draft matches together. Sweet. Or some, it was something pretty high, and at that point, we got, we got a lot of coverage for it. None of us top-aided, but I, I think seven of the ten of us cashed at that tournament. So... Uh, at that point, pe- yeah. yeah. At that at that point, people started, um, you know, kind of showing interest in the team, and I think the crew started to stabilize a little more. They're actually, I'm the only Minnesotan left on it at this point. Uh, the new system. Uh, there were a couple other players on, like Jason Ford and Brandon Nelson, but they are currently not qualified. But uh, yeah, the crew's starting to become a regular. You know, the same cast every time. Nice. Then, so yeah. So, so Matthias, who were the first couple though? Uh, because I know I thought your team was. Uh, a real uh, it had names when it had you and Hetrick on it. To me, that's mm-hmm. what I initially associated Panic with. So, were were you two like the the fa- two of the founding members? Yeah, I would say originally it was just Minnesota Minnesotans plus Californians. So it was like I kind of had a crew that four people I worked with, and then Hetrick and Jahar had a crew of four people. So we just in Barcelona, we just took kind of you know mashed those two together and made a team. Okay. So how'd you guys come up with the name? Uh, so how do we come up with the name? Um, I'm not even sure the story <laughs> about that one. Um, I know there was Hedrick and Shahar coming up with it. Um, I know that it was something where Hedrick wanted something that was edgy, and Shahar was looking up lots of different words and saying it to the two of them. And then we went out to dinner, and then we came back, and they had decided on a name. And then we put a K on it instead of a C because it needed more attitude. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. Which, which Hedrick hates, so you have to mention it to him. Okay. But, um, yeah. So, so as far as what does it mean, I'm not entirely sure. But we, 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 st- you know, it was that was the day before Barcelona, so the actual pro tour. So then we you know that's what our team name was. We just, we threw that out there, and then it kind of stuck. So we haven't really moved from it. And you, you know, it, it has a certain charm to it, so we stick with it. Yeah, I know. It's it's pretty sweet. I mean, it you know, it's way better than you know, random website plus color. So, um, <laughs> so I, I'm pretty impressed. Uh, you know, with with how quickly you guys, you know, how well you obviously have done and, and now being picked up by Fireball. So what does this actually mean for you guys as a team? Like, does this mean that, like, how many of you are now, are you writers for, you know, uh, Channel Fireball as well, like regular contributors or occasional or, you know, as a sponsorship, do you get, you know, are all your cards covered? Like, how does this all work out? Okay, so what it works out for us is a lot of us are regular writers. I know that. Matt Nass is already a regular writer for them. Um, Jake Wilson and Sam Pardee have already written for them a couple times. And I, I imagine that if it works out, you'll probably see us more than, you know, more than once on the site. And so it gives us better visibility that way. And, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're helping us out. Um, obviously, it's a lot of work to be able to take the time to, for everybody to take an entire week off work and rent a house and, you know, in Montreal. So, you know, in return, I think Channel, Channel is helping us with that. Cool. And you're helping us really take that extra time, prepare and do well. Nice. And your cards then are also covered, I trust, if for your constructed deck? 
Uh, yeah, for our constructed decks, um, I mean, without going into too much details of it, yeah, we, we should have the cards that we, that we need for the event. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, um, especially with the whole Pro Tour has been moving toward a team thing. I know we've only seen, like, the mana-deprived team really come onto the scene in the last, in just the last couple Pro Tours. You know, SDG Black, probably, which is now just the SDG team before that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we, we did it. My team and your team. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think we had, because it used to just be, there was only Channel Fireball, and it was this super team, and, you know, like, that's a really cool story that all the best pros are practicing together, but it's not really much of a story unless they have a competitor. You know, Superman needs a villain. So. Whoa, whoa, we're not villains. No, no, we're not villains, but, like, but you, you need someone <laughs> yeah, to compete against. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, uh, obviously, we've seen, you know, a shuffle in a bunch of the ranks, and I don't know how much of this, you know, now being under sort of the Fireball banner, how much of this you're privy to, but, you know, if you can help us out at all, that'd be super. I mean, we're starting to see... You know, people like, and, and I don't know what this means, really, you know, so maybe you can kind of help us out with with it. But, you know, we're starting to see people like, you know, Tom Martell, obviously, has, you know, who's been working on SCG Black for a while, now is sort of, you know, a regular on uh, on SCG. Um, we saw the, the Brad Nelson move, obviously, not too long, you know, a while ago, but, I mean, that's different reasons. But, you know, what the really surprising ones for me were when we – they were introducing the see people like Owen Turtonwald and such, you know, coming over to to now being on you know the team SUG. So um, it's it's one thing for us to see uh, people just um, working with different teams. Like we understand that happens, right? Because different people right. jive with different people, and that's a thing. But you know, for me, I'm looking at it, you know, specifically from the Tom Martell example. Like he very clearly was, you know, entrenched in you know, fireball content production. And, you know, he's been working with the SCG team for a while. Now he's over writing premium for Star City. Like, is this, like, is there a shuffle going on that we just don't sure. see behind the, behind the scenes or what? Well, there's a, okay, there's a lot of things in there. I guess it'd be easier to start at, like, where were we two years ago? Okay. And I would say two years ago we had Channel Fireball, which was, uh, Luis was running it. He was running the show and, and and they were slowly, every pro tour, basically picking up everyone that was awesome until their team had, <laughs> no, no, really, they had literally yeah, yeah. all the, I think, was it, there was one year where they the top five players in the player of the year race were all channel members, or something really, and we, really. We would be surprised if they did win the pro tour at, during that time, where they basically won every, or a member won every event, important yeah. event. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, and that's awesome, and that was cool, but that, that probably can't last indefinitely. Um. So at that point, like, you know, what were the other pros doing? And I would say you had people who you knew worked together. You know, you know that, like, Chapin was probably going to work with Michael Jacob, and they're probably going to brew up some sort of Grixis or four or five color control deck. You know, there was <laughs> no for real. And, you know, the, you know there, there was the group of Floridians, and, like, they generally tend to brew up, you know, ramp-style decks or big threat decks. Um, and so you had people who were competing with them, and I think... A couple things happened. First of all, the, the opposition got more organized. Um, I think also channel got really big. They, I think the ideal number for a team is somewhere between 9 and 12 people. And channel was reaching about 16 or so members. So channel actually started cutting within their own ranks for a little bit there. And I think once people saw how successful they were, there was incentive to build a lot of other teams. So... I guess that's where we started. Then you had, you had questions about individual teams. Um, 
I know that with SDG blue and black, like SDG blue does not exist anymore because black was essentially the old team mythic, which SDG had picked up. And blue was a lot of Roanoke based. Uh, yeah. PTQ grinders. PTQ gr- yeah. Right. That it all made on, you know, made that pro tour. They all got together to work for that one. And I think the only one that's qualified on that team now is Jerry. So he's it's just, yeah, it was Jerry, Josh, Todd, and I think Ali or something for the last pro tour, but now it's just Jerry. Yeah. Uh, and and Brad Nelson is part of that crew. You mentioned him. Uh, he he was part of a, the original Channel Fireball. Um, I think eventually when he moved out to Roanoke, he was dropped from the team. I don't know the details behind that. I, 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 as far as I can tell, it seems like it was pretty friendly. The guys they still talk to each other. Yeah. Um, we heard rumors that he just didn't get along with some of the other more prominent members, and that it was just a a good move for everybody. Yeah, and there is a lot about a lot of that while putting together teams. I mean it. It's a lot, I mean, it's really similar to, you know, like a sports team. It's, mm-hmm. You don't just, the all-star team typically wouldn't beat the best team in the league, even though they have more talent, because, you know, composition matters. People getting, getting along matters. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, I think teams run into problems. Like, what we ran into a problem on our team was that we had a bunch of really good players, but we didn't have many people who came up with deck ideas. So, you know, like, and so, so when, we, when we were trying to recruit more people, we were specifically trying to get people who are, you know, like, we didn't have a true control player on our team. And, you know, that worked out because I was saying, you know, what I used to be worried about is that what if the best deck in the format was, you know, some draw-go control deck? I w- we felt that as a team we wouldn't come up, like, it'd be really hard for us to beat, say, you know, the Chapins of the format in constructing a deck unless sure. we had some people Chapins, who could build Cuneos, that. Chapins, yeah, that sort of thing. I got you. Right, right. So I guess what, what happens, you know, a couple of their teams formed, I know... The Martell moving, I don't know when he moved. I know Martell is kind of the person who organizes SDG Black. If they, they don't, you know, he's kind of their team captain, I would say. Yeah, he's, he's, been, he's been clearly identified as such at this point. Yeah, I would say he's so... I don't know what, what, what happened with that move. I know the Owen move, um, there were some personality issues just with their, within Channel Fireball. And I think they decided that it would probably be best if they just split split different ways at that point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Channel Fireball still has yet to announce their team that is actually, you know, going to be at Gatecrash. Um, they just basically called a lot of the ranks, I guess, and try to concentrate on the core. Like, I mean, I expect to see people like, like, I expect to see Ellis, Luis, I expect to see, um, you know, Josh, I expect to see David, I expect to see Conley, you know, like all of these folks. Yeah, um, I would I would say their team is going to be largely what you expect. I I believe that that Jerry might be working with them this time around. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I, I've I've heard something about that. That's unconfirmed, but I I believe Jerry's going to be added with them. But otherwise, I think it's the team that that you would expect for yeah, it. Yeah, and Paulo, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Okay, so that that makes more sense, and of course, that also then makes room for you know obviously another team if if Channel Fireball is not floating you know twenty people. Um, then <laughs> right. that makes a whole hell of a lot of sense for them picking you up. That's awesome. Right. So, I mean, and the, the, one of the differences is that Panic is a much younger team. Yes. I would say uh, Channel, I mean, I think I would be one of the youngest members on Channel if I was on their team. Uh, most of the people in Panic had you, their first Pro Tour is 2011 or later. Well, so, I mean, you were recently just Rookie of the Year, right? Right. So, and, I, and I think I was actually, I'm actually one of the oldest, pro, like, Longest long the person who's been a pro tour the longest on the team. It's awesome. I would say. So, <laughs> right. So yeah, mo- you know, I mean, Jacob Wilson and Sam, I would say are 
certainly breaking through this year. Well, uh, isn't I, isn't Jacob not even eighteen yet? He's still in high school, so yeah. that's possible. <laughs> okay. Um, Hampton and on, and Andres Prost both uh, top eight pro tour Philadelphia. Um, I was you know Hetrick and Hetrick and Jackie Lee they both did too. So yeah, it's it's, it's a pretty young crew. It's kind of there's been this whole up and you know I would say every year you probably at least within the U.S get like, you know, two or three breakout players. And if you were to define our team, I would say we have like most of the breakout Americans from the last two years. Cool. So you had mentioned that uh, you guys tend to excel in the, in the limited formats. Is this sort of just a, is this a matter of practice or, you know, what sort of skill sets or masterminds do you have to help you, you know, really own that format? Well, I would say, I mean, we have a couple of very strong players. Andres Prost is one of the best limited players out there. Um, we, I'd say we, we certainly discuss limited a lot when we practice it. I, I'd, say, I'd say one of the things, a lot of our players are a lot of moto players, I would say. So you, a lot of people, especially when you get, you know, the moto ringers, these are people who get thousands of draft matches in. Um, you know, so a lot of people when we show up to Pro Tours have just, have had a lot of experience at limited. Mm-hmm. And I, I think as a team, we've just that's that's been very strong for us. We because we've played so much of so much matches, we're able to identify new formats really quickly. Because the, the the difficult in limited the difficulty at a pro tour in limited is that they're doing this at the time. Weird stuff happens in your pro tour limited draft. Is I guess what I would say. Um, because this format is so new. I remember my very first pro tour, not knowing how to read what is it. Um, my first pro tour was, was Paris. So if you still remember scars of mirrored mm-hmm. draft. I remember in my first pe- draft getting taking some taking some blue card to start the draft and getting a fourth pick flesh eater imp and I was like oh wow infect must really be open and it turns out that the guy who was passing to me I ended up playing him in the finals and losing to him was drafting straight black green infect you know but somehow like had passed the third pick flesh eater imp and you're just like oh well that's <laughs> you know it's like it's it, it, to me like that's very unbelievable that that's the correct pick I mean that card was better than almost you know that card was one of the top uncommon or even better than most rares, especially if you're already in, 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 in fact, in fact, yeah. Yeah. So the, you, you'll see these really strange things happen at the pro tour where it's just people don't really, a, a lot of strange things get passed. I would say everybody's in there. People are still in very different spots in the format. So valuation yeah. is just really off. I heard someone passed the pack rat in the last pro tour. Right. One of, my, one of my friends tell me that. So, you know, it's hard to, yeah. It's not surprising, I guess. Well, so that, I actually have a story about passing a pack rat. This is what I overheard at the Pro Tour. This is a, a discussion. <laughs> this might be the same story. <laughs> this, is, this is an argument between Cedric Phillips and Craig Wesco. So, so if you don't know that Craig only drafts white cards. Yeah, not, no, he's, he's like the ultimate magic racist. We know this, yeah. Right, okay, okay. So, so he's saying there, he's like, Cedric and him both won to the draft or something. And he's like, Cedric, we just... We didn't win because you were taking my white cards. Just Cedric is very defiant. He's like, your white cards, I'm passing to you. They're my white cards. And, <laughs> and as he said, well, and it, barely, it starts coming out. I think Craig's is something to the effect of, you see, I wanted you to stay out of white. So I even passed out a pack rat. Pack, I passed a pack rat back to you to reward you for not taking white cards. So it's like he passed him a pack rat to just to get him out of white for the draft. Oh, God. <laughs> it was just wow. like this really great attraction. Wow. I thought I thought at one point that Jerry was just trolling Hayden and I about Wesco's uh, really strict uh, white, like mono white drafting. No, he only drafts white cards. It's like it's very true. What's it? I, I guess something happened in, the, in the, like he. I think 
he's been caught playing black at some point in his career. So, but like at one point, really, we thought Jerry was just trolling Hayden and I when he told us his story. I remember asking him when we were we were at Grand Prix Boston. We went out to dinner and I asked him. So I said, "Okay, so you prefer drafting white?" I said, "So if you see a pack with murder and pacifism, you're taking the pacifism, right?" And his response to me was, "I'm taking Griffin Protector over murder." I was like, <laughs> "I was like, oh, okay." And this wasn't even a joke. It was like very true. <laughs> Well, I guess, you know, like, if it's your strength and you can force the archetype, then, you know. I mean, if you really know how to draft it, you you can draft that way. I'd say you will get punished every once in a while. But And he's very reasonable about it. He says that he believes he's so much better at white tech that he'd rather be drafting a subpar white deck than drafting the correct or more powerful other colored deck because he thinks he just would play it that much better. Well, I I mean, there's got to be some... There's some logic behind that argument. I'm not saying that yeah. it will like correct all the time for every person by any stretch, but maybe for Craig Wesco, it's correct. I mean, like Mike Flores would draft mono blue cards or mono Borderland Rangers, right? Like that—that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Last time I played him in limited, he he crushed me with a white deck. Granted, he'd open into two Odrix. So that was pretty annoying, <laughs> but <laughs> yep. you know, he he does he does well in limited actually. Which is yeah. which, which you wouldn't expect from hearing someone saying like they only draft one color, but no, he does pretty well with it. Yeah. Nice. So you you mentioned earlier, um, whether it was on or off, that sealed deck is sort of like your pet format. Yeah. So it's not off. It's so strange because I've never actually heard that before, and yet in the last three days, I've read people say that they love sealed deck as their favorite format. In multiples. Like, you are now, like, the fifth person I think I've read to say that. So, like, please tell me why. <laughs> well, so, I don't see how it's that much different from drafting in the first place. I know people say, you know, sealed's all luck, it's what you open, draft is way more skilled. Um, um, draft is actually a lot about what you open as well. Um, what I like about a sealed deck is it's not as much about card evaluations as it is about I, the deck building aspect of it. Um, I really kind of like that puzzle within it. And also, I feel that people are bad at it in general. Um, when people talk about a card, they'll say a card is good or bad in limited. And what they're really saying is good or bad in draft. And I think a lot of people don't really understand that the two formats are, are fundamentally pretty different as far as, you know, there's some cards that can be much better in one than the other. Yeah, I so agree. And I think often, too, in the same, in the same um, limited umbrella of a set, like in Gatecrash Limited, for example, I believe that there could very well be a distinct tempo difference between the two formats being draft and sealed, right? Certainly. I mean, RTR was a really slow sealed format. Um, some of the good sealed decks were faster in the format. Like, you, red decks were pretty good in the sealed format. But by and large, you know, like, Golgari, Splashing, whatever, was a pretty good deck in sealed. In draft, those, like... You know, that deck's not really good unless you had a lot of Axbane Guardians or, or a, lot of, a lot of removal. So the, the formats can definitely be very different. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm, personally, I'm a terrible drafter, but I can fight my way through a sealed deck. So I, I, it's why I, I have to hear it from you, right? I, 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 it's, I'm interested to understand why you prefer the one over the other. Yeah, and I mean, I, I really enjoy drafting. I'm actually, I'm a pretty big fan of limited in general, but 
I would just say, I think that, you know, the, as a community, we know a lot less about sealed. So right now there's still a lot of observations to be made in a lot of places to get better at it. I think most people who, who are big limited fans really limit themselves to draft. I get made fun of when I when I practice sealed. I go to a card store. I'm with uh, a few buddies of mine. We're like saying we're practicing for the return to Ravnica season, and then there's just people burning us. Like, why practice? You just open bombs, and they just like make fun of me for wasting my time. When so? Yeah, I mean, people say like with every sealed format, they'd be like, "Oh, this sealed format's all about the bombs," you know, and that's that's kind of what people say about every sealed format. Like, that's not really true. But you'll get that crazy pool but then it's the it's the ones that are not that like if you give it to a bad player you know he'll build it far worse than like someone who's who's good at building sealed pools so mm-hmm. I, I respect say, yeah there, ha- there have been bomb heavy sealed formats i mean i think scars was probably the worst offender because like at rare all the angels came attached like there's all the dragons had wrath of gods attached to them which was pretty obnoxious and there's like <laughs> It's like, you know, Horde Smelter Dragon is not only a 5-5 flyer, but he also wraps your team for the rest of the game. You know, things like that. But typically, you, you mean, especially in RTR, r- rares don't seem to be as important, I would say. And, like, that's got to be the sign of a pretty healthy limited format, right? Well, yeah, you don't, you don't want it just to be about what rares you open. That's, that's depressing. I mean, I think with the exception of Packrat, Packrat's awful for limited. Yeah. I, wonder, <laughs> I, agree. I wonder if, if it's the... Um... You know, the focus obviously uh, being on shock lands in these, the RTR and gate crash, right? Like, with such a heavy impetus being put on the rare lands being good, you know, that limits the number of quality rares, I guess, that they can put in the set. So, you know, it, I guess from that perspective, from a design perspective, it may incent them to make sure that the rest of the cards that are actually, are actually playable. Because <laughs> if the rare slots are being taken up by lands, like, you can't make the rares just like these absurd bombs. But you need to be able, because yeah. a lot of the decks will have to rely on the uncommons and commons to get there. Yeah, I think it's just like a lot of the linear... There still are, you know, there's a subset of cards where they design, where the intention is, you know, this card's going to maybe not see constructive play, but just will crush games of limited. You know, like, like Mercurial Chemistry would be a card like that. You know, we're not going to play it constructed, but it's, it's ridiculous and limited. Um, <laughs> but, I, yeah, I, I would say... I think it's more just, you know, while chemistry cards are good, you know, me putting Pursuit of Flight on a Frostburn Weird is also game-winning good. So there's there's other things you can do that rival the rares on power. You don't want it to, you know, some, like, I guess the, the Scars analogy would be, in Scars, you played Mana Mirrors and Tutus, and then someone dropped Carnifex Demon, and the game was over. So yeah. this is way better, because the plays that precede the bombs matter, and they, they, can, they can actually sometimes, you know, your rare doesn't even save you a lot of the time. So obviously you've been testing a lot of this gate crash limited. You've been drafting like a fiend and sealed decking as much as you can. Yeah, I'm mostly just drafting right now because there's no sealed deck at the PT. But I will be doing sealed deck of it probably right after the PT because I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, we've uh, I've done about seven drafts so far, I would say, and planning to do hopefully a few more before the pro tour. And what have you found coming out of here in terms of? you know, guild preferences or color preferences? Like, where are you looking to be, ideally, if you had the perfect uh, the perfect draft? Well, I want to be in black. I just don't know how to do it yet. Because, <laughs> um, well, no, that's an honest, honest thing, because Demir is awful, and I'm not even sure how to draft it correctly yet. I've tried it 
a couple of different times. I tried it milling people, and I've seen it tried ciphering, and it just it seems really bad at both. But that said, you know, that probably, and I think everybody's coming to that conclusion. I don't think that's unique. Right. You know, the the Boros decks are really, really good, no matter how you build them. And Demir, you just you're playing two twos for three, and you don't even really know what you're doing. Um, so I'm kind of want to find that strategy in there and figure out how to draft a really good Orzov Demir sort of deck because I feel like it's being undervalued right now. Yeah, like I, I've been noticing that, I mean, even Kibler was on Twitter, right? And he was asking, hey, is it remotely possible? Can anyone tell me if, like, th- there is a good Demir deck? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it just seems impossible unless you, you open, like, the bomb nuts. Right, it's like the card I'm most scared of opening right now is Dunrovia Horror, because I know that card's good, but I don't know what I'm going to take after it. Because it's like, oh, that, that's, that the, that's the 4-4 four, four for 6 that recoils when it comes into play. Mm. Like, you know, that guy's really good, but like, then I'm going to get a second pick, and it'll have a bunch of really crappy Demir cards, and I'll probably end up taking one of them, and my deck will probably train wreck. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, yeah, you bounce, and they have to discard a card, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah so it's really good, right? Yeah, it is good, but especially as 4-4 four, four is a relevant body in the format, too. Right, so it's a right. card you really want to take, but you just yeah, you just need to know what you do with it after that. <laughs> like, How it doesn't end up in the discard pile. It's like, like hopefully what happens is the guy passing to me hates Demir and opened one too, so he, maybe I can second pick another one, and maybe if I get enough of them, it'll be a good deck, and I'll just throw other crap in the way until I pass this guy. Oh, like, it's, that's kind of how I feel about Demir right now. Yeah. I, the, the only success that I've heard about people playing with Demir is when they're literally just running full-on Esper. Like, they have... They've got, you know, they're opening cards like, um, you know, Syndic of Ties to run along with it. You know, the the one two flying extort guy is reasonable. You know, the two two flyer. Like, when you're running right. these cards alongside, then you know, I've heard people, you know, finding some success because the extort mechanic obviously lets you, you know, grind them down, but more importantly, keep yourself alive, right? Right, and like extorting with a cipher, yeah, and gives you an extra extort too, so that's pretty good. Yeah, and I've had some success with Esper things. Yeah, but I, I honestly think that's literally the, the only way that you're going to get a good blue-black X deck is is you've got to go that way, too. Right, so it's like, I know that that's possible, and I'm really hoping something else is, and I want to try to find it. Um, I ended up doing that at the Avacyn Restored Pro Tour. I drafted black both times because no one was taking it. I remember my second draft, I got a fifth pick Barter in Blood because black was just that bad. So, you know... <laughs> Right. So I, I always kind of try to find that strategy for the Pro Tour. I mean, if you want to take, you know, the level one approach, I would say Gruel and Boros are probably the best things to draft there. They're really strong. They're not that hard to put together. Yeah. But I mean, potentially overdrafted, right? So Probably. Yeah. I mean, I, would, I think of the seven drafts I've done, the 3-0 deck has been Boros four times. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think word is out that, you know, the Boros deck's really good. Yeah. And I'm sure that has little or nothing to do with the fact that Boros Charm is insane. Yeah, Boros Charm's really good. I actually got to play with it my first time. Uh, the last time I drafted Boros, which was... Uh, I, I managed to 3-0 with it. It's, it's really, really good. <laughs> um, Everyone knows my I, favorite card. <laughs> yeah. I, I my Madcap skills. Right, which actually, is, I, which actually is amazing with Boros Charm. It's like, I, I thought I'd never <laughs> use the double strike ability on Boros Charm, but I was very wrong. Like, you just can kill people out of nowhere. <laughs> Mag- Magcap skills is excellent. I, that, they're really pushing the, pushing the envelope on Auras. 
And I think this is just like, this is probably even better than Pursuit of Flight. <laughs> Where, where's my turn one hexproof guy in this set? <laughs> <laughs> KYT is the boggle master of modern. <laughs> yes, I am. So you could play that green 1-1 one, one for one that can only be blocked by flyers and reaches. And if you turn two <laughs> madcap skills, you'd probably just hit them five times and win. It's like yeah. not good right now. <laughs> Well, they'd have to have two flyers before they can block it. They're probably already at eight by the time that happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. So, yeah, I really like Madcap skills. It's better in Boros than Gruel, but it's probably playable in both. So, I, I the interesting thing about the Blood Rush mechanic that uh, that we're hearing is that, like, it just makes blocking a miserable proposition. Yeah. Like, definitely. playing against the Gruel deck, you just... You want to just kill yourself every time you're forced into that <laughs> box, right? Like it's like fuck, uh, I have to do it. Like oh, they probably have a combat trick because you know if I count blood, <laughs> they have 14 combat tricks in their deck. Yeah. So probably <laughs> one in their hand. Like, yeah. Is uh, is the Simic deck as terrible as as advertised? Um, I've done it once. It's been okay. It. I I don't I, it seems underpowered to me I guess is what I would say it's hard to draft because if you get a lot you can't have to have lots of different kinds of evolved creatures if you have too many of the same kind of evolved creature your deck doesn't actually work yeah because they can't actually make each other bigger right so you need to it's kind of you know you need biodiversity among your creatures because if you get all the same <laughs> yeah. one good um I yeah I mean Simic has some pretty strong rares you know Fathom Mage is obviously very good but um, I'm. You're right. I I think to me, my best Simic decks have all been, I would say, ramp decks that usually branch into Gruel as well. Yeah. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. And you can use the Blood Rush guys either as you know low costed beef to help trigger your evolve, or you know just as reasonable combat tricks to help bolster up your shitty little green blue guys. Yeah. So it lets you race, and they're also the Gruel guys are really good at making sure you get another point out of your evolve. Yeah. It's good. Because yeah. I, I drafted Simic last night and I just didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I had like some some good guys at the beginning and, and then some sort of rampish uh, type feel to it. So that that was a train wreck. Um, I mean, I, I was trying to go some games aggro, but then I had the card that draws three and played an additional land, and I had the uh, the primordial, the green primordial. So. Some starts I was just like playing some evolved guys, but then I just had high casting stuff in my hand and couldn't really capitalize on having like a really early evolved guy. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about the Simic cards is that, with the exception of I think the one drops, none of them are very aggressive. You know, you have a, a one three reach, you have a one two a one three for two mana that pumps, and that guy's actually really good, but you don't really attack with him until very late. You don't really want to spend two mana. Um, I think, yeah, that guy's sick. <laughs> that guy's excellent. Yeah, but he's, he's not very aggressive. Um, I think one of my favorite cards in Simic so far has been Sapphire Drake. He's the one that makes all your 1-1 counter creatures fly. Because it's like you kind of just build up these bigger and bigger walls, and you play a Sapphire Drake, and then suddenly all your walls can turn sideways and swing for large numbers, yeah. which I really like. Um, but yeah, it's, it's playing this defensive early game, and I think a lot of Simic decks fall into the problem where your late game isn't enough. Which is why you need to, like, I, like I said, branching into Gruel is nice because it gives you this great late game, which you don't actually have to do. You know, you can do it within Simic too. Mm. I've I've tried that. Uh, there, there's a six two for five, 
And I've tried like yeah. playing playing him with Sapphire Drake is pretty funny. When you, <laughs> when you get a seven three flyer, that's usually enough. Boom. <laughs> nice. So uh I I guess I, I've gotta ask. We we've gotta do a I know you haven't been focusing a lot on constructed yet because you're waiting to get into the house. But sure. like are there any you know, archetypes, like I think you'd mentioned that you have an idea where you're you're looking to start from um, in terms of, you know, starting your brews for Gatecrash. Um, any ideas sort of, you know, do you want to talk to us a little bit about that or, or you know, do you want to just weigh in on your opinions on where, where we're at? Like, what do, you, what do you got? Sure. So, I mean, without mentioning brews we have, I think the the deck designing process right now is what you have in the format is, I think, you have a bunch of mid-range control and control sort of different decks, and those matchups are really interesting, like where you want to be in those. But I think like red decks are really the defining part of the format. Mm-hmm. You know, there's whether or not in the past format we had you know red black, black red, and mono red, and now we're starting to see you know these, these red green decks or maybe Boros, but they're, but they're all these red aggro decks that you know goldfish on turn four or maybe turn five, and they're really aggressive, and their god draws are all completely unbeatable. You kind of. <laughs> You know, you, so you have to first of all hope your opponent never gets a god draw with one of them. But you need to make sure you have a deck that can can run with those. And typically people that you have in the past have done that using Thrag Tusk or, or, or in some situations have been, you know, using like Unsummons and Azorius Charms. Or you, you need some way to fight those decks. Yeah, and, and, and early. And early, right. So, so you have to not roll over those decks because those decks are very, very good. And I think once you get past those, then the format's pretty interesting. You know, where do you want to be, like... Then you have to care about things like your Bant matchup, um, you know, your Esper control matchup, your Flash matchup, and those are cool. Those matchups are really interesting to me. But I would say all my brews are starting with can I beat a red deck, and if I can't, I, I tend to put them down. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like we saw Saito's recent list, right? Yeah, that, the red green thing. Yeah, which got posted on uh, on the mothership. Uh, Frog in a blender, I think, is what people are calling it. But. <laughs> I don't know. It was a sweet name. Yeah. yeah, it is a pretty sweet name. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that thing looks terrifying. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's maximized. So the thing about the red decks, what I was saying before, is scary about them is that their their nut draws are just impossible to interact with. And I think this one is just it's upping its number of nut draws. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, this you know, deck has more nuts. Yeah, right. It's like what well, you'd be like turn one cackler, turn two emissary, emissary ash zealot. <laughs> like what am I? Oh my gosh! Like they just—they have what now? They have eight power on the board, attacking on turn three. It's like this is stupid. Wait, wait, wait! Untap ranker, ranker. Yeah, yeah. Untap ranker, ranker. Like this is yeah. You're, right. There's so many plays here. They're just you know, and like heaven help you if they draw a hell rider later on. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, that card's pretty good. That's totally right. fair. Right. So there's these red decks all have these great nut draws and. I think I think I like Saito's build because it has more of them. Uh, that said, you know they're still pretty fragile in the sense of like if you know a well placed Azorius Charm and then a Wrath will, will get this deck, you know. But yeah, yeah. Well, and Blind Obedience is one hell of a card too to try to help you know manage the tempo of a deck like that, right? Like like that's the type of card that will give you that turn four to untap and cast Supreme Bird. Well, it has the right mana cost for sure. Agreed. Uh, all your answers to these decks have to cost one or two because otherwise the game's over. So I, I do like that part of my opinion. <laughs> I don't I don't know how often you get to extort with it. I mean, I think it'll pull you out in the late game, which is really yeah. nice because then because you'll probably stabilize something some single digit numbers. So extort seems really relevant there. 
Yeah. Well, in my testing with it, what I've been finding is it does a really, really good job of of helping to you know stem the flow early. Uh, most specifically because it, it does slow the tempo of these sorts of decks down, right? So, so your you know your your turn two hasty guy or turn three four haste creatures like they really do a lot less. They have a, so much less impact. Like Hell Rider is way easier to deal with. Dunamai Hellkite, Falcon, yeah. Chris Krat, like these are huge top ends that are all much easier to deal with under that sort of situation. And you know you're right. Like late game, they they're not just like a dead card sitting on the table. And I think that's that's what makes you know it really relevant. I think um, the other one that I'm actually going to make in the standard format is Experiment One. Yeah, so Experiment One is pretty good. It's a one drop. So I mean, like the question is whether or not any of the aggro decks right now, like no one's going to be faster than red. So if you're playing non-red aggro, you have to have, you know. I'm not saying you can't do it, because I think there are builds with it, but you have to think, like, what's your selling point? You know, are you, maybe I'm aggro with counter spells, or I'm, like, aggro that's better against Wrath, or something like that. Um, and so, experiment one, in a green-based aggro deck, you, you'd have to have, you know, some sort of selling point with it. But the card's good. The card's really good. Yeah. I've uh, been seeing it put to a lot of insane use in Modern. <laughs> really? Yeah, like the deck, like the card single-handedly, I think can bring, like it's going to bring Zubak with that blood right off, because there's there's been some decks that I've been that they are, you know, goldfishing on three or four. Um, it's that's... it's insane in modern, in modern, obviously not in standard. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's so it's it's. I mean, seeing the success there kind of, you know, makes me wonder what the cross format after. Uh, there was obviously that deck that that played at uh, uh, the last SCG event. Experiment Jund? Experiment Jund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the Flores article. I, I Actually, while you were talking about the the red deck, the, the Cyto deck, holy shit. I, I want to play this against you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. I mean, and it looks so streamlined because it's all like four ofs. It's like all nice. I mean, every, every card is a four of basically. Yeah, yeah I got to build this up. Yeah, uh, so the so the decks that I really like right now, and Matthias, maybe you can like tell me what you do like and don't like about them, because I know sure. I'm trying to you know we like your insight because very clearly this is sort of an area where you are living and dying in right now. Um, but I, it's unique because nobody's talking about this right now. Like nobody of any value is prepared to talk about Gatecrash Standard, obviously, in Let It Pro Tour. So if right. you would like to, you know, without sharing your personal tech, kind of chime in on some of the strategies that exist, maybe that won't break the rules? Sure. So what we, I mean, right now what we're seeing is just a lot of proactive deck. You know, like this Angel of Glory's Rise deck, which did really well at the last time, I think, Brian Brondwin was playing it. Um. You know, I think people are right now are just trying to focus on what's the most broken thing I can do. Um, and we're going to see a lot of those decks ramming into each other. Um, the question is, like, how you can answer. So you want to kind of find a spot where you can answer each of them. Um, I know, was it, Naya Humans ended up winning the SCG event, right? So, and, and then, then that list is basically just a, a take on what we already have been doing in the format. So that's not, not too different. Um, but I, I would still say aggro is like the red aggro decks are probably still where you want to start in the format, um, which is why like you're going to see a lot of just mid rangey things, 
uh, like Naya humans because that's that's like a very evident way to beat aggro. You know, so we right now have like an aggro, anti-aggro, and other stuff metagame. And that other stuff is the stuff that no one's going to want to talk to you about until after the Pro Tour. Right. So the one deck that I thought was really interesting, obviously the, the Esper Spirits comeback was pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, I saw a little bit about that deck. So it's like Eddie Walker ran it at uh, to a top eight. And it's it's basically just the, you know, the old deck. But it's got, you know, Ghost Dad in it. Just pretty sick. Blind obedience seems to be a really good, you know, use of yeah. in that deck. Yeah. Tons of spot removal. So it looks kinda neat. I, I think it's alright. Um but yeah, those and yeah, the the Brian Bundwin's deck was well, it's I guess Brad Nelson's deck. Um the other one that I think people are really, 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 really excited about is obviously this uh Boros uh this card anyway that everyone's freaking out about. The Boros Reckoner. Yeah, that guy certainly has gone up and well, he's gone up in value huge in the last week. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think it's just because, you know, everyone's right. playing him like he's the real deal, right? Like this guy Yeah. Is, he's a card. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. He's I mean, if you played with Spitemare before, he's like Spitemare but way better. Um he also has I think people are talking about how if you play him in a shell with with blue, you actually have a shot at, at in gaining infinite life with him, which is pretty neat. On top of him, you know. Well, you can actually do it just That's in red sweet. white. You can do it if you're playing near Heath Pilgrim. You can do it just in red white. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so you can either do that or you can do it with Azorius Charm. Um, the combo is that you make him indestructible, presumably with frontline medic, and then if he has life link, he'll just keep dealing damage to himself over and over, and he'll take infinite <laughs> damage and just gain infinite life. Um, that's not why he's really popular. I think he's. You know, he's he's a well. He's he's always going to be three damage to the dome, and he's probably going to be a lot more most of the time because he's a really efficient beater on top of that. And that guy's the Minotaur guy is really good. So are you? Uh, so are you looking at the ramp decks at all? Like, uh, there's not very many of them in the format outside of a you know some of those crazy uh, omniscience decks, but those aren't going to do so shit hot against like the red deck. Against red, right? Their weakness is red. Um, Farseek has been one of the best cards in the format for a while. So, yeah, there's definitely some ramped up we're looking at. Um, one of the jokes is that uh, our team, every Pro Tour we've prepared for has ended up playing a Birds of Paradise deck. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's another, or not Birds, but, you know, Birds or Avacyn's Pilgrim or Arbrelf or Deathrite sure. Shaman. We played that in every format, which has been kind of... So, you know, obviously we're looking at some decks like that. They usually have been more mid-range than ramp decks, so... Yeah. So more more to the to the Naya Jun speed sort of situation because I noticed yeah. uh, Jun is one deck in standard you haven't actually said the word of. Okay. Oh, that means oh man, that means they're probably playing it. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I would say like the thing about ramp is that we don't really have something great to ramp into right now. The best thing to ramp into is probably Stinks's Revelation. You know, maybe Thrag Tusk, but he's not. You know, we don't have Primeval Titan right now. Um, so I would say it's, yeah, the, you know, your ramp decks tend to be more like controlled, like, like, uh, the Bant decks, which are control decks with Farseek in it, as opposed to just a dedicated ramp deck. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, Skullcrack? Skullcrack's fine. It's, I think it's, it's pretty, 
I don't think it's going to see much play in standard. I think it'll see a lot more play in card formats like Modern or, Vin- or Legacy. Um, decks which actually just want a Lava Spike, I could see in, you know, in Legacy, it seems pretty good. It's probably better than Flame Rift uh, for if they play Burn. The problem is, you know, three damage, like Lava Spike's not a particularly good card unless your whole deck's full of Lava Spikes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably going to keep that card down in standard. I could be wrong, though. Yeah. Uh, I know that, you know, it, it'd be, it's great in response to a Thrag Tusk to Skullcrack them, uh, or in response to a Sphinx's Revelation to Skullcrack them, but you probably have to be then untapping and winning when you do it. Fair enough, yeah. In which case you're in red or red-green or some combination there. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Cool. All right, so uh, are you excited about the party on Saturday? So tell me more about this. Oh I have not heard about it yet. Oh, my God. Okay. So, um, he's gonna shit himself so now. <laughs> you need to you need to make sure that you spread this out across everybody that you know in the pro community because this is actually the most insane thing ever in Magic history. All right, that's I know it's like really lofty, but trust me, I'm there. So, all the stores in Montreal got together, and uh, about 15 minutes down the road from the pro tour venue, are actually holding their own weekend of insane games. So there's uh, a team trio event that's happening. There's, uh, you know, GPTs, PTQs. Like, there's all sorts of crazy shit happening from Friday through till Sunday. Okay? Uh, Which is really neat and exciting. And they're going to be live streaming the Pro Tour as well. So it's going to be like this huge magic, like local magic event. Yeah, we're like creating a local magic mecca. Okay? And then then where this gets really exciting is that on Saturday... at a venue that's 10 minutes from the actual Pro Tour site, <clears throat> and so literally halfway between the two venues, at uh, Pub St. Paul, we are running back the GP Toronto part, but we're doing it bigger. So I don't know if you heard about GP Toronto. All right. Only so a little. You work with Christian, uh, so you're, you're working with Calcano. Yeah. Because he talked about GP Toronto. Not yet. You should ask him about the party and see if he remembers it, because he was fucking... <laughs> okay. All right. So here's what we're doing. So we've rented out an entire floor of the pub, room for about 500. And we are we are hosting, like, face-to-face games, com, like, all of the local stores. We are hosting the Pro Tour party. You're hosting the Pro Tour party? Yeah. So Saturday night. All right. Everyone come to the venue, karaoke, DJ, booze like crazy, sick food, and, like, everybody is going to have a killer-ass time. Sounds amazing. It is literally okay. the best thing ever. Well, we got Calcano. Uh, he, he told us that he'd come to this one, so. <laughs> yeah. So we, we'll make him drag your ass there. <laughs> we, did this, we did this in Toronto, and we had, so Brian, so Kibler was there with, uh, Rich Hone and uh, a couple of the other guys, and boy, like they were. Oh, it was a really good time. Uh, but like Owen was there, Reed was there, uh, LSB showed up, and he had uh, David and Josh and Paulo, so they were all there as well. Uh, Calcano was there, Sam Black was there. Like there, it's a ton of people that were all there. Like all the pros that came into town that weren't feeling like a bag of shit or were weren't concerned about you know the day two. Uh, we're yeah, there. Had motherfucking G-Fabs. <laughs> G-Fabs there. But like there are there are some really crazy 
uh, videos from that night that are floating around Facebook and such. <laughs> um, okay. There's a distinct possibility that if you actually like click on my page on Facebook, because I'm fairly certain that we are Facebook friends, you should see a few videos from that night. Uh, notwithstanding would be the, the Gangnam Style karaoke performance. Now, now, I'm on your, now I'm on your Facebook page. Please. I know you. <laughs> We're getting a better cameraman this time. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but uh, Matthias, like, Kipler got really wasted because he didn't win a single game <laughs> at the uh, GP. He was, like, asking people over and under <laughs> games that have won <laughs> at this tournament. <laughs> and the answer was shockingly zero. <laughs> Oh, poor kids. But anyway, so we're we're running it back. It's going to be absurd, and you all need to make sure you're there. The only excuse that I'm going to take is that one of your team members have top-aided, and you absolutely have to test the match. Literally, yeah. otherwise, right. All right, we can do that. That's awesome. Good. Perfect. It was a, it was a really crazy time. Everybody got really messy, and it was a really awesome time. <laughs> so great. Yeah. I mean, it was so good that, like, Scott, extreme job on it again. It was so good that, like, we did it ourselves in terms of supporting the party, me and Scott. But this time, like, all the stores wanted to jump in as well because it was so successful. So, well, typically after Pro Tours, there's usually been a big, like, karaoke party afterward. But normally they just pick a random bar and just, you know, surprise the heck out of it. So this, this figures to be way better. Yeah. Because they're actually ready for us. Yeah, and so in addition to that, it was funny because we were talking to Helen about it too, um, because you know she's going to be there, and I'm very much that. Hey, look, if you like what you see, let's talk because I, <laughs> it was insane. We're going to run this one here in Montreal. It's going to be equally insane. I said I'm planning one in Calgary, so like, let's talk because GP Calgary, I'm fucking all about that, and it's Jay Bush's uh, bachelor party. There is what we're going to run that weekend too. Wait, his bachelor yeah. party is, like, on Saturday night? Yeah, more than likely. Oh, wow. Okay. Either that or we'll do it earlier. And, like, we'll figure it out. But it's over that weekend. Okay. <laughs> wow. I'm all smiles. School's <laughs> out for summer, so you've got, like, no excuse not to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You. Yeah, is that the reason why you weren't able to uh, make it to Toronto? Or just it just didn't make I mean, sense for you to get that expensive? I mean, it's, it's a little bit of both. Um a lot of people have talked about it. Uh, I kind of have to plan which GPs I'm going to just in an expense sense. He is a teacher, uh, bro. Right. I can only right, get so right. much. Right. And so since I, since I teach a somewhat abnormal schedule, like I, I, get, I can get more time off than I normally would be able to. But I, I had to pick which GPs I was going to. And I guess Toronto just ended up being, kind of ended up being one of the ones not on my list. Um, there's just, there's so many GPs right now. And it's, especially if you don't get an appearance fee, you know, you you buy like you on average lose a lot of money at GPs, so going to all of them is pretty unrealistic. On that note, this is like random, like best segue ever. Yeah, Brian Kibler wrote uh, a fantastic article on uh, Star City Games. It's getting a lot of play. Um, do you want to talk about it real quick? Yeah, well, what Brian was doing is he is. I think he's being a point, which is. Not relevant to most Magic players out there. Um, you know, I'd say that the reason that people go to GPs, he's, he's complaining about the number of GPs and what it's meaning for the Pro Tour. Like, there's three kinds of people who go to GPs. There's people who are looking to have a good time, and that's the majority, you know, hey, there's a GP two hours away from me. Let's get everyone in the car and drive to it. Magic's awesome. I think that's most of the people who go to GPs. There's 
a large number of people who are aspiring PTQ grinders, and then there are people on the pro tour. And I would say for those second two groups, this current system has been pretty rough. Now, even at the highest levels of the game, which is platinum, uh, the pro tour experience is pretty miserable. Um, the increased number of GPs, I think he said he has, he's going to make platinum again. He has, I think, 36 points, and 23 of them have come from GPs right now, and he's been traveling over half of the weekend, 24 weekends in the last year. <laughs> so sick. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, you know, people say, okay, boohoo. It means, you know, obviously, the ho- like, how can, I, how can we complain that, you know, I'm traveling all this time and affording to do it? And I guess the answer is, don't really it's maybe you break even money wise but not even you're even at platinum you're probably still paying a little bit of money every time you go to a gp and traveling every single weekend is is pretty exhausting especially for something that doesn't make money um so i think to stay and the problem is because there's so many points at these gps anyone who's not doing that behavior is probably going to not be a pro um the only way you can really stay on the Pro Tour right now, if unless you go to all these GPs, is you have to top eight a Pro Tour. And if you do that, you're probably fine to stay on for the next year. But so that means like unless you top eight a Pro Tour every year, you're probably <laughs> in trouble to be to stay a Pro Tour now. If you if you aren't willing to literally travel every you know every other weekend. And I, I think a lot of people there's just a lot of fatigue setting in. Um, for me it was even more financial because I'm I'm gold not platinum so. Whereas Brian, you know, maybe loses $100 every time he goes to a GP. I lose 350 So, you know, I, I can only do that. I mean, it's like I get a cheap vacation, so that's pretty nice. But it's still a vacation. And, you know, I can't actually afford to take a vacation every other weekend. So, I, I you know, I just don't go to as many Grand Prix. And I think as a result, you know, I, I'm not on pace to stay at gold right now. I'm not. It's not out of the picture. But I, def- I definitely, if I don't get a big finish at one of these two pro tours, I probably will not be on the train next year. Wow. And, you know, I don't love the situation. Mm. So this is obviously something that you want to do, right? Like, you want to stay on? Well, yeah, and I think, I think was it the year I got on the pro tour, I went to eight Grand Prix and four pro tours. And I'm doing about the same number this year. I think I even up, I upped my Grand Prix from eight to ten which that's about all the time I can really realistically take off. But I'm, I'm even thinking about with like those 10 I picked of canceling the last two if I don't do well this pro tour, because I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be too far behind. If I don't do well at like one of these three pro tours, uh, I'll probably be too far behind. Um, the points are just, it just kind of works out the way that the, the thresholds were built with like the people, they, they based the thresholds off how people, off what people were achieving. And so they're all based off, these people who are going to every Grand Prix. So since that's not me, all these numbers are just ridiculously high. You know, it's really 30 pro points before anything happens, which, you know, if I'm not reasonably close to that, I would say I, I probably should stop buying plane tickets. Um, so, so yeah, I would, you know, um, obviously there's a lot enough points at the pro tour that if you do really well at a pro tour, you will still be fine. But uh, the Grand Prix are really changing how it's working. Well, we'll see. I think there's a lot of people in this boat, so I think we will see. I'm interested to see what the face of the Pro Tour is going to look like. Um, I know that, was it? Yeah, LSV and Brian both said in their article that, you know, next year they, they just don't want to travel every other weekend anymore. It's, it's too exhausting for them, so we, you might stop seeing them at events. And I, and I don't think that's just talk based on when I've, you know, I've talked to other people about that as well, and I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think that's an empty threat. I think we might actually see it happen. Mm. That's really sad. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, 
Yeah, there's some things. I think where Wizards is concerned, it's not that bad. Um, as long as there's a different person every year, you know, if you want the dream of being on the Pro Tour, then, you know, fly to everything in a year. And I guess there'll just be a different person doing that every year, maybe. But it's, it's especially hard for people who have, like, I was talking with Tom Martell about this, you know, people who have, because he's in a similar, he and I are in similar positions, at least as far as time commitment is our concern. You know, like eight to ten Grand Prix is probably the most of what we can do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, both of us kind of probably realize that the Pro Tour is not structured toward us right now. That we can stay on, but it'll probably run out. If, you know, if I string three bad Pro Tours in a row together, I'm, I'm probably done. Wow. So, and, and I think the people that might, like, that, I don't think affecting pros is really what Wizards is going to care about. I think it's that second group, like the aspiring PTQ, the aspiring grind pros, which is a much larger community. You know, people who go to Grand Prix because they want to be on the Pro Tour. If they start feeling like it's just not possible, I think that's where we'll start to see change happen. Because, you know, the, the first group of people, the people just going to Grand Prix, you know, to go to a cool Grand Prix, they'll probably go regardless of what the pro structure is. I mean, Star City games, Star City Opens don't really have an end game, and plenty of people go to those. Uh, but right now, these Grand Prix are different because there is this really, you know, sweet end game you can get to if you do well enough at them. I wouldn't be surprised if they, they responded. Um, I felt like once that year they, they decided to respond to all these Twitter discussions about rating change. They hacked that away, replaced it with Planeswalker points, and they only had that Planeswalker points system for a very... Was it for just one Pro Tour? That you yeah, could just, just like... Just one. And then they just cut that away. So I wouldn't be surprised if they like did something like a significant change yet again. Um, so yeah. not surprised there. Yeah, and I think that that would be really neat, neat to see it happen. I think you don't want to cut down the number of Grand Prix because Magic's getting really popular, and the fact we have a lot of Grand Prix is really neat. And I think a lot of players, you know, Calgary has a Grand Prix this year. That's really awesome. And <laughs> no, I mean, and if there were only, you know, that that one year there's only eight North American Grand Prix, and if there were only eight, you know, Calgary probably wouldn't get one. So it's really nice that we get to do that now. Uh, I think there's a lot of like a suggestion I actually had the first time around, and I, and I still kind of I'm a big proponent of is you know, maybe you only collect points from your first, from eight Grand Prix over the course of a year, or your best eight, if you want to then encourage people to grind more. That instead of, you know, so that way, the biggest problem is that, you know, with people like Brian Kibler, 70% of the, his pro points are coming out of Grand Prix. And you probably want that number to be closer to 30. Um, to do that right, you'd probably need to add back another Pro Tour. Because right now it's like, so if I say I only want Grand Prix to be set 30% of your points and I want Pro Tours to be 70%, you probably need more than three Pro Tours because otherwise each Pro Tour just becomes so important that, you know, one failure today to on the Pro Tour would be disastrous. Like, you, you might want to try to get a fourth one back. I know that that's a sell that probably won't work, but, <laughs> you know, yes, please bring back more Pro Tours. But, I mean, you can, you, yeah, you can hope. It used to be six a year. You know, that from way from way back in the day. That's before my time. <laughs> yeah, that's before when I was playing. But yeah, you know, it's not like it's always been this way with only three. Well, hopefully they come to and and it and motivates them to do enough. We'll see how it all plays out. I mean, it's really tough for them, obviously, with 
you know, Magic is so successful. The game is growing so much. Like, they, I was reading, Kelly Reed was mentioning somewhere on his Facebook, I think he listened to the uh, Hasbro earnings call. And, like, this is, like, the third or fourth year in a row where the sales of her Magic have been year over year increasing by over 25%. Like, they're over 30% from last year. I mean, that's excellent, you know. Yeah, so the, the game's growing. The game's healthy. Um, the competitive scene's just really uncertain. Yeah. Hopefully they hopefully have the resources to do something really good with it. And, you know. Keep it running. Yeah. It's good. Awesome. Well, do you have anything else that uh, you want to mention, bring to the table, or, you know, talk about that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, I think I'm think we touched on most of the most of the things. Yeah, I think I'm pretty good. But <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was like, do I have an answer to that question? And I'm not entirely. No, I think I think we covered most of the bases. KYT, do you have anything that you want to? Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Um. No, just I hope people will listen to this or in the somewhat proximity of the Magic Weekend extravaganza that we're doing um, to uh, please come. It's going to be really, really sick. Um, I I don't think uh, in my dreams this would ever happen uh, because of the fierce rivalry between. It's like really cutthroat here in Montreal. Uh, when it comes to uh, stores, and for them to all be willing to work together uh, to make this weekend as special as possible is just really awesome. Something that I never expected to, to happen. So, and uh, you know, look out for Scott and I to be doing some uh, form of coverage. I've yet to discuss with Scott um, throughout the weekend, um, keeping people up to date. Um, especially me, I'm going to be keeping people posted on uh, Team Man Deprived and how they're going to be doing uh, over the weekend. Yeah. So we're pretty excited. It's going to be sick. Enough change. Yup. Yeah. So, yeah, party time. Um, yeah, but, so you have to make sure you come to us with your with a deck tech. So, okay. Um, whatever you guys end up playing, uh, I, I basically think I want to try to outdo, you know, the quantity of deck techs. So if you guys want to see all the sweet hot tech, uh, we'll be trying to get all, all of it. Are you guys doing, uh, are you guys doing press at the pro? Do you have, are you doing press at the pro? Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's what, that's where you'll see KYT and I will be pestering you for time and camera and all of that sort of stuff. Excellent. Yeah. So bring a sweet hat. Okay. Actually, no, no. Actually, 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 I, I do have a sweet hat. I uh, I get a I get a, a new hat for pro tours. So this is will be a new hat. It has it's an, it's an outdoorsy looking one because you know we're in Canada. So it's nice. Yeah. It does it have like fuzzy ear flaps? Uh, no, no. They're all the kind of the same style. They're all you know like the newsy hats, but you know the the color and patterning. You know, it's just it's de- it de- each 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 hat debuts at a pro tour. Nice. The fact that you call them newsy hats probably tells me way more about you than I need to know. <laughs> more importantly, we probably have more in common than I care to mention, but that's okay. <laughs> I may or may not have played cowboy in high school productions more than once. May or oh, may not have. Anyway. So, yeah. So, that's it. I guess we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, so, thanks, everyone, for, for listening tonight. Uh, we had a, a good time. 
hanging out with our buddy Matthias. We're looking forward to seeing him in like a week. Stick. That is really soon. It's awesome. Yeah. So hopefully uh, your trip goes well and you you arrive safe. Uh, we the snow is is hot and heavy here in Toronto. It's it's coming down really hard. So it's probably only a matter of time before it hits Montreal. Or did you guys already get it? Oh, we've been buried in snow for. I'm in Minnesota. Oh, been, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, no, no, no. It's, it's you know, it's actually interesting. Most so okay, true or false? Would you say like? When I when I play most Canadian players, I ask them, uh, you know, I tell they ask where I'm from, like Minnesota, and I would say most people have no idea where Minnesota is in the U.S. Or it's like they'd be like, I don't know where Minnesota is, and they'd be like, uh, we're right south of Winnipeg, and they're like, oh, I know where that is, and then that works. But yeah, yeah, I had a I had a friend of mine actually that lived in Minnesota for many years, and so I'd been out there once or twice, and yes, I I'm aware that your winters are some <laughs> something of repute. Yeah. yeah. It's really warm, you know. But I'll, I'll admit I had to look it up. Outside of knowing that it's a hockey team, <laughs> I have no clue where it is. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks everyone. Check this out before the PT. Check out all the coverage live on manatoprive.com. Um, come on out to the extravaganza weekend. If you're not, you are missing out. Uh, there will be pictures, videos, everything of the party. It will be completely insane. Um, Yes, uh, Ruben Bressler is coming. Uh, he will be there doing press for Star City Games. And uh, he will also uh, be horse dancing. <laughs> that will happen. I just feel bad for him because he's staying with Joshua Lemish. So, you know, <laughs> that guy's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> See y'all later. Take it easy. Good night. Bye, guys.